At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com, and if you want to join... All you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written, published article, Who Was at the Helm? From 1965, it's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump much more and remember subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week the cost is less than a beer at a bar and you get a better buzz with, with the savage premium so go to go to glow.fm slash savage premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else thank you very much welcome to the michael savage podcast Today we talk about the war, the war, the war. Which war? Oh, you don't know about the war? 
Russia's war in Ukraine or the Ukraine war from the point of view of Russia. The big question is, will it end May 9th? May 9th? Why May 9th, you ask? Well, you'll find out why and more on today's podcast because we speak with the author of Putin's playbook, Rebecca Koffler. She is, well, she's a really big insider, chief intelligence officer for the Lindsay Group. What does that mean to you? Former CIA, DIA, born in Russia, and knows inside and out what's going on more so than anyone I have found. And you'll hear all of it today, the full interview with Rebecca Koffler, author of Putin's Playbook. In this interview, she says that the war will initially end or will end on May 9th. A break will be put on the war. And although the war is not going to plan, meaning according to Putin's plan, and that, frankly, Russia has had a strategic defeat in Ukraine because of the high weaponry that was sent in by the West and by the fighting spirit of the Ukrainian people. Yes, it's not gone to plan. Terrible things have happened. So many people have died. But according to the author today, the war will be called a victory by Vladimir Putin on May 9th. And you'll find out why May 9th. Why that day? Is it arbitrary? He needs a victory. And if you know Russian history, you know that May 9th is a very important day to them. It's the victory over the Nazis in World War II and a big parade is held in Moscow and he will declare a victory. But it won't be the end of the war. And you need to understand more about Russian history. You need to understand Putin's mind. You need to understand what the American media is doing. You have to understand how the government media complex in this country and in the West entirely is insane. And the claims that they are making are totally insane. There's information that you will hear today that you've heard nowhere else. You'll learn things and you'll fear things. All of this and more on the Michael Savage podcast. So let me give you a brief overview to this podcast of Russia's war in Ukraine, as I've tried to do uh, several times, by the way. And the fact is, you already heard a preview of this interview last week, a short version of it from Rebecca Koffler, author of Putin's Playbook. She was born in the USSR, and she emigrated to the U.S. and devoted her career to protecting her newfound home. And she tells us how the U.S. media is misleading us on Russia, and more importantly, how Cold War policies have fueled this crisis and why the United States will not allow Russia to gain control of all of Ukraine. You don't want to miss this interview. But now let's go to the ground and see what's going on in Ukraine, because just this last weekend, our Secretary of State, Blinken, that incompetent fool, and our Defense Secretary, oh my God, who's more concerned with gender identity than with warfare, allegedly flew into Ukraine to meet with God knows who. But did they really get to Ukraine? See, nobody really knows if they were there or not there. It's sort of to be or not to be because the press was not allowed to be with our dear military leader and our Secretary of State. So we don't know if they actually left Poland and went to Ukraine to meet the comedian Zelensky, I mean, the President Zelensky, whatever. But we know this. An article came out in the Evening Standard in London saying Putin's sending thousands of Russians to their death if he seeks victory by May 9th. Military experts believe the Russian president will have to start 
within days to make preparations for a major offensive if he is to snatch a meaningful victory. Again, everyone's now on to the May 9th date. And uh, May 9th is a very big date. It's a key date in the Russian military calendar as it marks the Nazi surrender in the Second World War. And an annual parade is held through Moscow's Red Square. So now, although Putin has created a sort of land bridge from Russia along the southern portion of Ukraine, military experts are saying the Russian president is going to have to start immediately to make preparations for a major, major offensive in the Donbass if he is to declare a meaningful victory. They say that if uh, Putin continues to send troops piecemeal into the eastern region against well-trained, well-armed Ukrainian forces, more casualties will result. And so they're afraid that Putin is going to launch a major campaign in order to wrap this up for the May 9th victory parade. Former Army officer Tom Tugendhat, chairman of the Commons Foreign Affairs Committee, in England, told the Evening Standard, quote, Moscow's timetable is writing promises its generals can't keep. They're pushing a unified campaign now, but without the logistics to support it. He went on to say Putin will have to start making major preparations if he's not going to just send thousands of young Russians to their deaths. We don't know, but I just learned that Putin's forces have not yet made a, quote, significant breakthrough in the Donbass. It's not a done deal. By the way, Ukrainian resistance in Mariupol is still ongoing, even after the third month of the war. And Russian generals have been unable to redeploy troops surrounding the last stronghold of local Ukrainian fighters within Mariupol. Moreover, the defense of Mariupol has left many Russian units exhausted and had hit their combat effectiveness, according to the sources in London that I am quoting. The losses are being hidden from the Russian people, according to this article. Estimates of the number of Russian soldiers killed ranges from around 10,000 to more than 20,000. Three or four times as many Russian troops are believed to have been injured or incapacitated. That's astonishing. Three or four times as many? That's 30 to 40,000 or 60 to 80,000 troops have been injured or incapacitated? That's astonishing. In its latest intelligence briefing, the UK Ministry of Defense said this, Russia has made minor advances in some areas since shifting its focus to fully occupying the Donbass. Without sufficient logistical and combat support enablers in place, Russia has yet to achieve a significant breakthrough. They went on. Russia's decision to besiege rather than attack Mariupol's Avostal steel plant means many Russian units remain fixed in the city and cannot be redeployed. Ukraine's defense of Mariupol has also exhausted many Russian units and reduced their combat effectiveness, close quote. Hmm. Now, I want to comment here. Russia's decision to besiege rather than attack the Avastal steel plant was a strategic decision, in my opinion, by Putin to avoid massive civilian casualties because they could have done to the steel plant what we did to Iraq and drop bunker busting bombs and killed everybody in there. I don't think you understand this, but it's important you do. The reason the war is not going according to plan is because Putin does not want and did not want massive civilian casualties. It's the opposite of what you're hearing in the American media. There's more to this story than meets the eye. 
obviously, and I only know some parts of it. I do not have a complete and total picture of what is going on beyond the media curtain, obviously. But we do know this. Today, you're going to learn what a Russian-born intelligence agent has to say about this war. And we talk about her book, Putin's Playbook. The thing is, you have to understand that this is a battle between America and Russia. This is an unbiased, sober-minded analysis of what's really happening in Ukraine. Our guest, Rebecca Koffler, does not mince words. And she calls out the cheerleaders and the superficial pundits stoking the flames of war that you are hearing on mainstream news outlets. Our guest, Koffler, approaches Putin with the understanding only a native could provide. And you'll learn why and how and what and when. But most importantly, will it end on May 9th? Now, I say May 9th again because that's the estimated date for everyone in this business of the news trying to figure it all out. The Victory Day Parade. But the fact of the matter is this tragedy will not end permanently, even if it's paused on May 9th. And so, as I said earlier, more and more will come out on this subject in the next few days. And we lift the media curtain and expose for you the truth about Ukraine right here on the Michael Savage podcast. I hope you enjoy this interview with Rebecca Koffler, author of Putin's Playbook. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Today we're talking about the most serious topic on the planet, which is preventing World War III, if it's possible, with an individual who knows more about it than you would imagine. Rebecca Koffler, author of Putin's Playbook. She has gone inside the mind of Vladimir Putin. And the question is, the war. Are we getting the truth? Is the Western media telling us what's going on? We're going to find that out from Ms. Koffler, who's the uh, chief intelligence officer for Doctrine and Strategy Consulting for the Lindsay Group. And I can say a lot more about that when I set this up. But let's get right to the to the issue at hand, if we can. In your book, Putin's Playbook, you describe how the war Russia is engaging in is not represented properly by the Western media. Can you please tell us what that is about? Sure. Um, So, uh, well, the media typically doesn't have full information, right? And the media is also largely driven by clicks. There's such a thing these days as the software monitoring um, system that senses what it is that viewers are clicking on, whether it's Mm. a website or whether it's TV. Why Mm. do you think all of a sudden um, the media has switched its focus from the Russia-Ukraine war where women, children are annihilated, maternity hospitals are shelled, all of a sudden we are on to uh, Johnny Depp and his smashed finger. Yeah. What is that about? How could we all be interested in an actor and his divorce trial rather than the death and destruction of a nation? That epitomizes it, Dr. Savage. Uh, You're 100% uh, correct. This is what's happening. Um, So back to my book, 
Russia, uh, Putin's playbook, Russia's secret plan to defeat America. Um, what I described there is Putin's plan to wage a war that the Russian intelligence services have concluded as inevitable. When I wrote the book, I didn't realize just how quickly that playbook was going to unravel. And the, the current conflict between Russia and Ukraine is really a proxy war between Russia and the United States. Yes. And NATO. So, so Ukraine is being used as a football. Because Tell me if I'm correct, but am I correct in assuming that American special forces, Green Berets have been down, have been in Ukraine uh, for a very long time, not only advising, but actually controlling some of the uh, action. Okay, so as a former intelligence uh, officer for DIA, which is Defense Intelligence Agency, a military counterpart to CIA, I'm still bound by what we okay. call the non-disclosure. I'm sorry to have asked the question, but that's, that's okay. That's okay. But, but as an outsider we- looking in, it sure looks to me like our, our, our people are, are there and you don't have to, of course, respond. I get it. Uh, you can't answer that question. Is there anything that could stop this war immediately? Let's start with the most depressing question there is, if we can. What can be done to stop the war? Well, hypothetically, there's something that could stop this war, but that something would be against a long-term bipartisan uh, U.S. policy, which used to be highly classified, but now it is uh, in the open, and that is to prevent uh, Russia from emerging as a dominant power in Eurasia. The policies are left over from the Cold War. So the United States views its strategic interest as having Ukraine in Western camp and not under the dominance of Russia. And so that is the conundrum because uh, the U.S. and Russia are fighting over control of the same territory, which is Ukraine, that Russia views as parts of its security perimeter and wants to invoke its version of the Monroe Doctrine. And the United States wants it in our camp. It wants to promote democracy there. And so that's what the whole conflict is all about. That is about to escalate potentially into the nuclear realm because the two sides are simply on completely different sheets of music. I won't bring up Zelensky because I'm not a fan of Zelensky. I think he is. uh, I think he's acting out a role in his own head. That's very much like I call the Masada complex, where he'll take the whole country down with him rather than give up. And I don't think he's doing his own people a favor. I don't glorify him. Is there another Ukrainian leader who's more stable than Zelensky? Let's put it that way. Okay, I'm not aware of any other leader uh, who can step in in Zelensky's uh, shoes if uh, he were to all of a sudden get hit by a bus or uh, get captured by Putin's uh, assassin's team, the Wagner Group or the Kadyrovci. Um, I don't believe Zelensky is unstable, just like I don't believe that Putin is unstable. They're both quite sane. In fact, we are now in the middle of a major strategic battle of the wills. 
both uh, Zelensky and Putin are very strong-willed. They're stubborn, both with the elements of narcissism. Since mm. you asked about Zelensky specifically, you are 100% correct in the sense that he is using his acting skills, mm. his tradecraft mm. as a performer to invoke emotions in Western leaders and Western populace. In fact, he hypnotized the entire Western world by pushing the right buttons. Yes. You know, I've never seen a leader ask for aid and then in the same breath attack them for being idiots and cowards. To me, this looks like an unstable personality, but he has read Western leaders perfectly because they're all wimpy and they won't stand up to him and say, you want aid from us, but you're putting us down, drop dead. They won't say that to him. They're afraid of him. This never would have happened under Trump. What do you think of that? Do you think this would have happened under Trump? Well, first of all, no, it would not happen under Trump because the uh, Trump has done three very important things that strike at the heart of President Putin's doctrine and strategy that he calls asymmetric to destabilize the West and reconstitute mm. the former Soviet Union. Mm. These are the three things. Um, and before I say those, uh, just to uh, to be clear, no, President Trump never called uh, Putin a killer or a war criminal or genocidal like President Biden does because there's really no point. Putin knows that he authorized assassinations. He's not afraid of words. He's afraid of actions. Right. And this is exactly what former President Trump He's did. He's a Russian realist, and I don't think these politicians understand Russian realism at all. They have you no nailed idea. it. They, they have no idea who they're dealing with, and they try to put him in a box like a puppet that they've seen before, but they've not seen this before. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. Again, I'm speaking as a commentator looking in from the outside. Ms. Koffler, you've been there. You've done that. You're Russian by birth. You speak all these languages. You've gotten into these in defense intelligence agency, which happens to be so deeply interesting to me. Uh, and you know things that you can't talk about. But, you know, people are people. At the end of the day, you're dealing with a personality. I knew Trump from several meetings with him. I flew on Air Force One with him. I shared hot dogs with him in the Flying Oval Office where uh, I saw a personality that I understood from Queens, New York, that most people don't understand. He's a very unpredictable person, but very predictable in other ways. And I, um, he's also a very kind person in a strange way. Can I tell you the Air Force One story for your own fun? Yes, please. Yes, okay. please. I'm invited on. I'm flying, blah, blah, blah. So after I have my, my wine and they say, would you like some wine? I said, put the bottle down. I had too much to drink. Donald doesn't care. I've met him before. So they usher me into the flying oval office and he doesn't look at me. He ushers me like with his left hand. He points to a chair like sit here, you know, and then he says to them, what is he doing here in order to humiliate me and to degrade me and make me feel small and frightened? He says to them, not to me, what is he doing here? But I'm from Queens and I had a very tough Russian born father. So to me, I just laughed. <laughs> I thought it was funny. I didn't take it seriously. I said, I'm here because you need to hear from me. I said, I'm an independent voice. Unlike Hannity, who licks your boots. You have Hannity's audience in your pocket. 
you need my audience, which is independent. He said, no, I don't. I said, yes, you do. Anyway, so we ate hot dogs together. Kosher hot dogs, by the way, which I don't eat, but I ate because he was there. But listen to this. This is telling for someone like you. He saw I was very hungry. I didn't ask for anything. He looked in my eyes. He said, you want one? I said, sure. So he takes his own plate. He offers me a hot dog. And then he says, do you want mustard or ketchup? Now, what world leader would ask a mere media figure on a flying Oval Office if he wants mustard or ketchup? I don't understand that. But this is how he is. He can read people. He can be very kind. He can be very brutish. I understand all of that. Is he like Putin in any way? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I don't, don't think, think Putin would have offered me a, a, a knish. No, I don't. I don't think so. Um, I think Putin understood Trump. He understood uh, that he's fearless. You just uh, said something very, very important that Trump was unpredictable. Putin could not predict what Trump would do uh. because like I said, uh, first, Trump did these three things, right, that I want to go through real quick. He stood up the uh, Space Force, U.S. Space Force, that counters Russia's space warfare mm-hmm. doctrine, or at least mitigates it. Mm-hmm. Second, uh, Trump authorized offensive cyber actions against foreign adversaries like Russia. Mm-hmm. And then thirdly, Trump authorized the development of a low-yield nuclear warhead for our forces, U.S. forces, and that mitigates Russia's escalate to de-escalate nuclear doctrine that Putin is about to activate Yes, as he feels that he needs to stave off a potential U.S.-NATO intervention in the conflict. And unfortunately, Joe Biden, our current chief executive, canceled (laughs) that program. And so this is exactly why Putin chose Biden's first term to attack Ukraine. It's because the Russian intelligence services have concluded, A, that uh, President Biden is potentially cognitively impaired. Oh, please has dementia. <laughs> I don't think you need to be an intelligence agent's agent to conclude that a man who needs to be chased away by an Easter bunny um, or, or shakes hands with the air is not all there. I mean, look, I, I studied Alzheimer's disease. I was formerly the head of a small research institute, the Alzheimer's Research Institute. He clearly has dementia. He's in the he was in the early stages. He's moved into the late early stages and he's not long for this job. That's clear. And it's very dangerous for America and the world because I don't know who's actually running the country. But having exactly who's running this country, who's actually pulling the, the strings. So it's not clear. This is why we see people like corrupt former intelligence officials uh, under who under former President Obama, you know, were digging dirt on Trump yes. and creating the Russia collusion hoax yes. while Putin was modernizing his military. And that's why we're not ready uh, today. And so uh, today we hear calls for a no-fly zone. Well, no-fly zone is an act of war that would drag in the United States as an active combatant and would rise the risk of a nuclear war between Russia that trumps in tactical nukes our capabilities. We have 200, they have 2,000. And this is why Putin is very cocky right now. So we hear all of these completely incompetent assessments that are potentially going to drag us into an Afghanistan 
type of quagmire yes. that actually has a risk of a nuclear mushroom. I had uh, a former Fred flights on a few times in the past who talked about the tactical nukes years ago. I interviewed the gentleman who developed the neutron bomb. He has since passed away. Brilliant. Just a wonderfully brilliant man. And he told me on my show that we no longer have neutron bombs. For example, they were dismantled, I believe, by Bush. One took them apart. Uh, I also was told recently on this podcast that we have a, you said, 200 tactical nuclear weapons. And and Russia has 2000. But Russia also has something that we don't have. And I don't know if this is correct, which is low yield tactical nuclear weapons, which disperse very little radiation. Is is that correct? That is correct. In fact, uh, Joe Biden canceled that program. President Trump authorized it because the Russian the Russians had it. Right. And that is why Putin is now mulling over his options of mm-hmm. detonated a low yield small oh. fallout nuke sub kiloton it would be about one third oh. of the one that we dropped on Hiroshima right mm-hmm. and uh, we can't counter I mean we're legally not active combatants so we can't do anything wow. even if if Putin goes ahead and do does it but it would have been a deterrent if we yes. had similar capabilities and Joe Biden canceled it so he's now grasping at straws you know doing these sanctions which are basically you know we're biting our own nose to spite the face because mm-hmm. with these sanctions our own gas prices are skyrocketing yes our Food prices are spiking because we're dependent on the fertilizer. We're dependent on uh, Russia. 50 percent of the world's urea comes from Russia. People don't even know that. It's insanity. And so the Washington establishment completely didn't pre-calculate what is happening, despite the fact that they had 20 years of working out a a deterrent strategy like the one we had during Ronald Reagan. Putin never made it a secret what he was planning to do. And I personally, Dr. Savage, briefed scores and scores of uh, President Obama's Pentagon officials. Mm. I briefed NATO. I briefed the White House, National Security Council, congressional staff, every possible command and commander about what Putin's plans were. And the Obama uh, team was saying, why are you telling us about the war with Russia? We're not going to go to war with them. We mm. want to reset with them. Oh, boy. And we were saying, well, you might want to listen because they think they're going to uh, eventually end up in a war. Not that the Russians want to attack the United States. No, they don't. But because we're fighting over the same territory, we uh, somehow we decided that Russia does not deserve their own version of the Monroe Doctrine and Security Perimeter. 
which is fine if you decide that, but you want to have some sort of counter because Putin is not just going to give us, you know, what he perceives is fear of influence just because we want to build a democracy in a country that is just corrupt as, as Russia, but that's another story. You mean story. Ukraine? You mean Ukraine? Oh, of course, yes, yes, yes. This whole, you're asking. At least asking we're not glorifying Ukraine and we're not no. glorifying the leadership of Ukraine which is separate from the humanitarian disaster that we're all seeing unfolding. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. Dr. Comfort, the author of Putin's Playbook, I have so many questions for you, and you're so brilliant, it's hard for me to constrain my excitement uh, in speaking with you. Do you have a few more minutes for me? Of course, yes, yes. Um, well, again, I'm a man of peace which is one of the reasons I helped elect Donald Trump. And I wrote that book way back when, before he got elected, when the other so-called uh, doctrinaire conservatives in the media were calling him every name under the sun and laughing at him. I said he is a businessman and businessmen like peace, not war, because war is bad for business. It's like the mafia. You know, war is bad for business unless you're in the war business. And Trump was not in the munitions manufacturing business. So I figured he was the best chance for world peace. So here we are now. In the antithetical position of Donald Trump with an unknown leadership in the United States, number one, and a um, KG, former KGB, KG, former KGB officer, um, uh, Mr. Putin, who is on the other side of the of the uh, of the seesaw. <laughs> We're on the verge now of reading reports like in The New York Times that now the war is changing and Ukraine won the first round. Well, I'm not so sure. The country is in shambles. What do you mean they won the first round? What kind of nonsense is that? 12 million people have been displaced. How could you say they won the first round? So is there anything Ukraine could do? Let's assume there was another leadership where someone steps in and says enough is enough. We can't see our country go down like Masada. Could Ukraine sue for peace and get something from Putin that they could live with, do you think? Or does he want to take the whole package? No, Putin, first of all, Putin doesn't take the whole package now that he has failed at toppling Kiev. Remember, the original strategy was to decapitate the Zelensky government, capture and kill Zelensky, and install a pro-Russia Putin's puppet. And uh, now that he failed that, he wants to secure the Donbass area and keep the Crimea. And that would constitute what the Russians call the Novorossiya, or the new Russia. And Donbass is really the, the, the bread basket of the world. Is, uh, Donbass is where the wheat, wheat lands are, that part of, of Ukraine? Everything, everything actually is in, in, in Donbass, including very rare minerals. Oh. And uh, this, this is just the area that Putin craves uh, because oh. it would give him another geopolitical weapon, just like he's using energy right now, uh, oil and gas, to uh, manipulate the European country's politics because they are heavily dependent on it. He wants to use that capability because we are now our, our global food supply is threatened right now because mm. the conflict in Ukraine has uh has threatened oh, absolutely the next fall is going to be a disaster for the world 
There are going to exactly. be food lines and riots throughout the world, even in America. People don't know how many different uh, components of our food supply come from wheat. They have no idea what's coming. We're going to have probably rationing. We're going to have food stamps. People don't even know this. It's going to be a little mini view of what World War II was like. And of course, there are American politicians who want the food stamps and the rationing because they'll make a fortune in the food stamps and rationing just as the mafia did uh, during World War II. They don't even understand this, but that's coming down the line. We're not going to be worried about Johnny Depp, as you said earlier, uh, come the autumn when there's the, no, no bread and, and things of that nature. And of course, we know what's going on in Europe right now. Uh, for example, the corn, corn reduction in corn production led to the uh, lack of production or feed for for pork and pigs. So that that was cut down. Then the high cost of diesel fuel because of this war has caused, I believe, six or seven, six out of seven Italian fishing boats from going out to fish. So there's now already a shortage of fish, as I read in some places in Italy. And this is just the beginning. Is there any way to stop this? I mean, is Putin going to win round two? Let's call it round two. Do you think he'll take the Donbass and stop? Okay, here's the deal. Uh, He will likely take Donbass, okay? But even if he doesn't, remember what the original mission is of Putin to start this war? It's because he wants to prevent Ukraine from joining NATO. Why? Because NATO is a military alliance. Yes. The distance between... NATO forces in Russia, the second largest city, uh, St. Petersburg, has reduced from the Cold War to today from 1,000 miles to 100 miles. No sane military leader would allow this type of risk, given that NATO is military alliance. Okay, so even if Putin, imagine uh, Putin does not win decisively the final strategic battle over Donbass, he will then turn it into a grinding, protracted conflict, and then eventually it will become a frozen conflict. And by doing that, he will have achieved his strategic mission because one of the requirements, the key requirements of joining NATO is territorial integrity, sovereignty, and absence of an active conflict. And so, because Ukraine is going to be broken up when he has a protracted conflict there, he has achieved, despite all the lack of tactical brilliance that the networks are screaming about, saying how Putin's forces, you know, did that or did that, didn't succeed. Yes. They're not really, uh, their war fighting style is completely different from U.S. war fighting style. The Russian yeah. style is grinding down the enemy, isn't it? 100%. Yes. How, how do I know this is a boy from the Bronx? And how come, <laughs> how come, how come, uh, the great news, how come the great newsmen don't know any of this? The Russians because will, cheerleaders. Uh, the Russians will grind and grind and grind and grind until they crush the opposition. Yes, there's so many, there's so many so-called analysts right now who are really cheerleaders. You Uh know, you hear them on TV, all these agency heads, you know, former spy agency heads who were actually colluding with Russia themselves. Oh, my goodness. Like creating these fake dossiers to uh, unseat uh-huh. the democratic. Well, well, what does the word Donbass mean in Russian, by the way? Does it have a meaning, the word Donbass? 
Don Bass. I don't think it has a meaning, but you caught me here. I would look it up. I no, mean, I don't mean to catch you. It doesn't have an immediate, like it's not, it doesn't have a meaning. Uh, but Don, there's a river Don, okay? Ah. So that comes from the root. The etymology possibly comes from there. But what I want to say is you can't get straightforward analysis anymore. No. There are all these generals who, who are cheerleading. They're <laughs> cheerleading uh, instead of really giving a sober, unbiased analysis. And by cheerleading, you keep the false expectations that somehow uh, Ukraine is going to win. Ukraine is not going to win. No, impossible. And and, and so Putin is not going to allow that. And we're not doing a great service to Ukraine or to our own people by keeping an average American in the dark about the potential for the United States entanglement into this war. And we just have left Afghanistan, right? After 20 years, $2.2 trillion. Oh, my God. Coming out of taxpayers' money. Home of borders, language, culture, the savage nation. I keep screaming, where is the American peace movement? All those who opposed our war in Iraq, our war in Afghanistan, are now cheering on a war with Russia. I've never seen such insanity in my life. Personally. It is an absolute insanity. We're letting Zelensky drive our entire foreign policy okay. right now. An actor, you know, who at one point he in a, as, as an actor in one of the episodes, he was playing a piano with his genitals. I saw me. that. I know. And people it's don't all realize in the book. that. I mean, you I had a Russian who's way, way back when this started, before it became what it is now. Uh, somebody co- uh, was on the podcast that said he was known as a vulgar comedian, by the yes. way, not just a comedian. He was on the order of a Howard Stern. And if you can imagine America being run by Howard Stern, who doesn't play the piano with his genitals, uh, but could play the piano with his wig if the wig could talk and had legs and hands. But the fact of the matter is, it's like having a deranged Larry David running America. Miss Cuffler, I understand and correct me if I'm mistaken, that his entire cabinet, Zelensky's entire cabinet, are former people who were in his theater troupe. They're now running the government in Ukraine. Is that correct? So I I, I don't have supporting evidence to uh, um, exactly. That doesn't mean it's not correct. I just simply don't have any intelligence that would back it up. Are you allowed but to comment on a, 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 Can you but comment I'll tell you this? I'll yes, tell you this, Dr. Savage, Putin, uh, I mean, uh, Zelensky's presidential campaign was bankrolled by one of the most notorious oligarchs, Igor Kalamoyski. Yes. Who himself and his entire family are banned from entry to the United States by our own government. Where do they live? In Israel? Are those the Israeli? Is that the... Is no, no, he's... He's in Ukraine. Oh, yeah, yes, 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 yes. I'm sorry, Kalamoyski. So, so, so basically, on the one hand, you have this Amazing corruption. And as you know, Ukraine is just as corrupt as Russia. <laughs> you know, this is a fact. You can look at you, you can't get an honest Poroshki in Ukraine anymore. <laughs> right. And so we're supporting, we're under this delusion that somehow 
we can democratize another country, you know, just like we tried Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Libya, like we don't seem to get it that mm. there are countries in the world who have nothing in their history or culture yes. that would point to the fact that somehow democracy is a viable system of governance to them. So it's, it's, a, it's a complete mess. Um, we well, just when they, look, really I know, again, I. I, I could keep you forever, and I don't want to do that to you. It's not fair. I want to just get to the point. You wrote this great book, Putin's Playbook, which I'd recommend everyone listening to this podcast buy immediately because we're talking about very serious stuff here. This is not about Johnny Depp and uh, Amber Heard or whatever her name is, uh, you know, arguing over who was worse to who. Uh, this is about the world and World War Three. So let's say that in the next phase, Putin is successful in creating this zone this barrier between himself and what he sees as the, the outpost of NATO, Ukraine. He creates this hundred mile or how long, how big is Donbass to the Russia? A hundred miles? It's about the, uh, it's about 300 miles front line that right now uh, Putin's forces are shelling indiscriminately with artillery mortars. Um, they're basically doing the final push before the troops move in. Correct. Before the troops, but uh, really before uh, Putin closes the active combat phase, oh. which is by May 9th. May 9th is the artificial timeline that he inserted in his military strategy. Why? Because, why? Because it's the victory day of oh. Russia oh. in World War II that the Russians call the Great Patriotic War. It's oh. the, the defeat of Nazi Germany. And oh. on that day, there's the a fits, massive parade. And fits right the now, narrative. Fits yes, the narrative. there are rehearsals going on. So he has to claim some sort of victory. And that is why there's tremendous pressure for him right now to secure control of Donbass, even if he has to use low-yield tactical nuclear weapons who, to uh, detonate on Kiev or anywhere in why, Ukraine. Why would he use nuclear, a, a low-yield weapon on Kiev when that's no longer an issue for him? My suspicion is, or what I've been able to glean, is that he's sucking some of the most loyal and fanatical Ukraine troops into Donbass, and he would annihilate them in a pocket as was done many times in World War II, both by the Nazis against Russians and Russians against Nazis. They, they seek the other side to come into what is apparently a weakness, and then they engulf them and destroy them or take them cap captive. What, what's, the, what's the theory here? Is it going to kill 100,000 Ukrainian troops from the Azov Brigade? Two reasons. So one is because right now he is very concerned about U.S. intervention. And with the narrative of Putin being, you know, a war criminal, uh, yes. committing genocide. Uh, and this is not just uh, Joe Biden. This is also Senator Graham, whom I respect, but he has loose lips sometimes. He just yes. called effectively on the uh, uh, Russian people to remove Putin. You know, Putin knows that an off-ramp is not available to him, even if the he uh -huh. were settle, which he doesn't want to do. Yes. And so so that's one reason. And then 
reasons because he's afraid of intervention uh. and because of Russia's conventional inferiority vis a vis US conventional superiority. That's why nukes are on the table. Why Kiev specifically? It's because if he were to drop a nuke on Kiev, that would solve his original or achieve his original mission of oh decapitating the government because all the government is in Kiev, right? Oh boy. Now I don't I don't rule out the possibility that uh, it's not Kiev that's the primary target for that, but Donbass. But my intelligence indicates to me that huh. it may be Kiev, and it also could be done uh, by out of Belarus. Remember how he yes. started this invasion by yes, the north. Uh, staging a nuclear exercise with uh, Belarusians, right? There were 30,000 troops in there. Uh, Putin still has his nuclear forces on high alert, mm. and Belarus is closer to uh, to Kiev. So, th- so this, is, this is the analysis that comes out of the intelligence that's available to me and Doctrine and Strategy Consulting that I run. Michael Savage. A host like no other. Rebecca Kofler, author of Putin's Playbook. Do you fear for your own safety since you know so much about both sides? So, uh, yes, I am concerned, obviously, given uh, the Russian government's uh, propensity to target, you know, opponents, especially, you know, somebody who is originally from Russia. But I know I kind of I got in uh, into this business knowing that I served in the DIA. I served in the uh, uh, Central Intelligence Agency's National Contestant Service. With mm. that knowledge, uh, I whenever I feel threatened, I actually had to go to the FBI field office and file a report uh, when mm. something was uh, very, very suspicious. Does so Russia I, have Does Russia have agents in America? Of course it does. Are you kidding me? Yeah, remember. Uh, I mean, sleeper agents is uh, is the tradecraft, or the proper name is. Um, Illegals, right? Remember when Obama, President Obama, gave back ten illegals back to uh, to the Russians instead of keeping them here and uh, flipping mm-hmm. them over and having them work as double agents for U.S. intelligence. Mm-hmm. So these are the types of people who pose either as Americans or Canadians or anyone else, and um, mm-hmm. um, to to really disguise the accent and then. Uh, basically, they try to not only get intelligence, but primarily influence U.S. policy by establishing mm. friendships uh, with key government officials and somebody who can get them uh, closer to the uh, White House, if you will. Yes, they're, yes, it's a standard tradecraft. Uh, that- well, Rebecca Kofler, you know, <sighs> Kofler, sorry. That's okay. Uh, no, no, it's 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 a, such a frightening subject for me. I have feared World War Three since I've been a little boy in the Bronx. I looked ahead. I, I, I saw a nightmare coming and I feel I'm living through this nightmare. And I really am not sure it's going to end the way we all hope it does with some sort of reasonable tense settlement. It could end very badly. And it's very much like World War One. This is what I said from the beginning. First, one country did something, then the other country did something, then the other one joined that one, then the country joined that one. And it kept escalating for no reason. 
Yeah. Well, maybe this has a reason. Maybe it doesn't have a reason, but it's not getting any. Two weeks ago, Zelensky, who to me looks deranged and he's on drugs, looks like it to me from the outside. There's a YouTube video going around saying, is Zelensky a drug addict? That's almost irrelevant. How many of our world leaders are on drugs? Probably all of them, whether they're antidepressants or, or something different. But this guy two weeks ago was saying we can live without joining NATO. We won't put nuclear missiles on the border. Then two weeks later, suddenly he becomes Mr. Hardman and says, we won't give up a square centimeter of our land. That's not a world leader. Something's wrong with the picture. I don't know what's going on. And I don't think that anyone could predict what will happen. But I would I would just ask, can this end in some subdued peace or will it continue to go like this? Right now, uh, the positions of the Russian government and specifically uh, Vladimir Putin and Ukrainian government and Zelensky are irreconcilable. Neither one wants to yield, as you correctly pointed out. Zelensky just recently said uh, that he is not going to trade any territory uh, or any people. And specifically, he doesn't even want to give uh, officially Crimea to Russia. And he's not going to give back. He he escalated the situation by actually going back to 2013. So bottom line, uh, there is no peace in the works right now because the positions are just miles and miles apart. Right. And uh, Zelensky, although I do not have intelligence indicating that he's a drug addict or he's deranged or anything, uh, my assessment is that and my intelligence indicates to me that he is feeling emboldened by all the support that he's been getting and all the shaming that he has done of uh, Western leaders. And in fact, President Biden just recently authorized uh, another 800 um, million for additional military assistance to Ukraine. I wonder how much of that will go into the pockets of, of the corrupt. It's a corrupt country, right? So, uh, and that is a threat to Putin. Putin has already stated that the fighter uh, helicopters that are being provided to Ukraine by the West and air defense system present a threat. The fighter jet could strike Moscow territory. So he's building the case for escalatory actions in Ukraine. So basically, there's no end to this war because it's been fueled by multiple angles. Weapons, 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 kerosene on the fire. I have to ask you this. I know the time is short. Chernobyl, way back in the beginning, one of the first strategic targets of Putin was Chernobyl. And it was very interesting. Uh, He invaded the area, took it, and then after a while gave it back. Now, we know that Ukraine gave up their nuclear weapons as an agreement, I think, in 2014. I don't remember the year in a trade off that they'd be protected, blah, blah, blah. All of that is known. I read somewhere that one of the reasons Russia took Chernobyl right away is because several of the nuclear weapons were kept back by Ukraine and were hidden underground under the Chernobyl plant because the radiation that would be emitted uh, by these weapons wouldn't be detected because it's under a nuclear plant. Is there any information to support or deny that contention? And why would why would Putin then withdraw from Chernobyl? Did he remove the nuclear weapons and then withdraw? 
So uh, I don't have information uh, available that uh, can be discussed in the open platform about that. So um, okay, I'll leave. I shouldn't have asked it. There are certain questions that should never be asked. That was one of them. So you're welcome <laughs> to ask. I just won't answer. <laughs> That's fine. I'm used to it. And I didn't mean to put you in a spot where you felt uncomfortable at all. Are there, any, fi- are there any final words, um, Rebecca Koffler, author of Putin's playbook, about this terrible and dangerous situation the world finds itself in right now? So the final word is this. Uh, the risk of escalation into nuclear realm is at its highest right now not intentional but potentially unintentional due to miscalculation it's extremely important right now for both sides russia and the united states not to overreact okay uh, because so much is at stake ukraine is one thing and the atrocities there uh, committed by Putin are just unconscionable. But we need to make sure that the United States is keeping our national security interests Amen. as its focus, not Ukraine's, us, our yes. security. Well, that's Zelensky. He sucked us into thinking he is America, that our interests lie in Ukraine, and they don't. But I, I have to say this, I way at the beginning when Biden or whoever's running Biden refused to impose a no fly zone, et cetera. I uncharacteristically was tweeting and saying, I salute President Biden for his restraint. <laughs> and people were attacking me because they didn't even understand what I was saying. They think that, you know, we should. He is showing restraint. He, he let's say the administration of Biden is showing great restraint. And I think we need to encourage this great restraint, not mock it. That's my feeling. What do you think? Well, I, I was the same way. I, I actually tweeted out that um, um, Evelyn Farkas, who used to be a senior uh, official at the Pentagon and the so-called Russia expert, <laughs> I briefed her many times, she's no expert, and she was advocating for uh, the fly zone. Oh, yes, I remember that. I remember this that. This lady is as dumb as the Siberian shoe, because <laughs> not only she doesn't know anything about Russia, she has no idea what a fly zone means, and I said the same thing. I very rarely agree with Joe Biden, but I agree with him on... Uh, being restrained, especially with regard to that no-fly zone, because no-fly zone is not a gentleman's agreement. You uh, have to be able to enforce it by uh, actually striking U.S. I, I mean, by um, having our Air Force strike um, Russia, Russian um uh, missiles and uh, in Russian airplanes, rather, and so this the the it's so it's insanity. World War Three. It's World it, War Three. It, it's insanity. So everybody needs to calm down right now and keep our security interests in their focus as their primary primary objective. Not Ukraine's, not Russia, the United States. Wow. Rebecca Kofler, I could see why nations rely upon you for analysis and opinion. I wish that you were running our State Department personally. I'd like to, you know, it is you speak real. And when you can't answer something, you say, I can't answer it. 
There's no circles. You're, you're very Russian in that regard, even though you're American. No, I understand people who tell you what they think and what they don't think or tell you they can't say an answer, give you an answer. And I've been I've been um, honored and enlightened by your uh, appearance today on the Michael Savage podcast. And again, anyone listening to this podcast, if you don't buy Putin's playbook, never listen to me again, because I don't want you as a listener. (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much. And I wish to God more people would listen to what you have to say. Thank you, Dr. Savage, and God bless you, your family, and your entire Michael Savage podcast audience. Thank you so much. Bye now. Bye-bye. Stay safe. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.